Yarra City Council acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional custodians and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to life in Yarra. We pay our respects to elders from all nations here today and to their elders past, present and future. Welcome to the Yarra Libraries podcast. This month, we're celebrating both National Novel Writing Month and Trans Awareness Week in our chat with Melbournean trans author Emma Osborne. Emma's writing has appeared in Uncanny Magazine, Nightmare Magazine, Podcastle, Queers Destroy Science Fiction, and many more, including their upcoming novella, The Beast You Made of Me. They talk all things horror, queerness, and trans identity in this slightly spooky and evocative conversation. We hope you enjoy. I'm delighted to be here with Emma Osborne. Emma is a frankly incredible um, author of a variety of genres, but I know that they are specifically deeply interested in horror. And I'm going to be talking to Emma about the transness of horror and the various tropes and themes that come up when we talk about trans people writing horror and the historical ways that um, that we've been represented. So Emma, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to us? Thank you so much, Connor. Thank you for having me. Um, it's always a delight to talk about horror in all of its forms, especially with a queer or trans lens uh, looking at it. Um, yeah, so I write uh, mostly horror these days, um, some dark fantasy and a little bit of science fiction for fun. Uh, my writing has appeared in uh, Nightmare Magazine, Shock Totem, Apex Magazine, uh, Queers Destroy Science Fiction, Pseudopod, Podcastle, um, Uncanny Magazine, um, and a whole bunch of others. Um, you can find uh, my bio on my website, which is just mkosborne.com. Uh, I also have a novella coming out, um, a horror novella with um, the wonderful Interstellar Flight Press um, called The Beast You've Made of Me, which is... Uh, it's a queer horror. Uh, it's got trans characters in it. It's not specifically trans horror, but um, I'm really, really hyped about that. Um, that novella is actually a little bit of an offshoot from um, a story I wrote called Don't Pack Hope, which uh, has a really strong trans focus, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about down the track. But um, yeah, that's me. Really happy to be here. I am so excited to be talking to you. That sounds incredible. I cannot wait to read this novella. Um, when can we get our hands on it? I actually don't know when it's coming out. Um, it'll either be this year or next year. So, uh, sorry, 2024, 2025. Um, but I will definitely let you know as soon as it's coming out. Um, it should, it's it's a global release, so it'll be available here um, and all around the world. And it's very uh, in very cool news. It's getting hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. So it'll be it'll be everywhere, every every availability, accessibility, that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah that sounds fantastic. Uh, congratulations! I'm so I'm so pleased that it's it's going that hard in all those formats. Thank you. I'm really really hyped about it. Um, it's the novella was something I wrote during lockdown when I was like having a lot of feelings and somehow managed to write something. Um, and yeah, it, it's been sitting on a few desks, but it finally got accepted. Um, and I'm absolutely so hyped for it to come out. It's um, told from a zombie perspective, which I love writing. Uh, it's very gory. It's very queer. 
Um, I hope people really like it, although I'm sure it's going to be disgusting to a lot of people, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way. We'll see how we go. I mean, queer and disgusting is like, those are two big ticks for me. I'm very yeah. <laughs> There's definitely people who are into that. So um, hopefully people will like it. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you, um, because we've, we've gone right in and talking about your writing um, and the novella yes. that's coming, coming out, what is it about horror as a genre that has drawn you in so much and made you want to write it? Um, I think horror is just, it just resonates with me so deeply, I think, because of the, the emotion, the tension and release to a certain extent, like the trauma in horror um, and the grief that can be found in horror, I think um, those are all, you know, things that I think have quite universal experiences. I think, you know, most people in the world will have experienced grief of some kind or most people have been scared or most people have, you know, um, a lot of people have felt unsafe, um, especially queer and trans people. And I think horror can be like a really safe way to process those emotions or to have a bit of a an emotional guide for those emotions I think you know watching somebody um deal with grief or process fear or you know decide to stand up against fear or to fight back um against whatever's coming for them is is such a powerful thing um, and I think, yeah, a lot of, a lot of queer people can really deeply relate to that. A lot of trans people can really deeply relate to that. And I think there's a lot of, you know, body horror and, um, sort of otherness and, um, things like that, that, um, really resonate with trans folks. Um, I think there's a lot of identity, um, exploration in horror as well. Like a lot of people, um, you know, sort of develop when tested um, in, in sort of horror scenarios. And I think in terms of like body horror, um, you know, there's a lot of horror, I think, in people sort of being transformed against their will. Um, for example, you know, being turned into a zombie or bitten by a zombie or um, have, you know, their body hurt or mutilated or cut or anything like that, you know, that that's a very unwilling scary thing for a lot of people and I think um you know absolutely not to compare you know trans surgeries to mutilation in any way whatsoever but I think you know I think the experience that a lot of trans people have the dysphoria dysphoria of um, a body changing in a way that you know you don't want or doesn't feel like you or is sort of an unwilling transformation um can sort of really fit into that body horror space and I think also the euphoria that comes with um, affirming surgeries um, can be a really beautiful thing too uh, in sort of a in a horror sense in some ways because it's sort of it's about transforming into something that you know you you, you are yourself um, and I think there's you know there's a lot of transformation in horror there's a lot of you know whether that be a good or a, a negative transformation I think you know there's a lot of sort of you know, transness really fits in there really beautifully um, and it can really help people, I think, process things or understand things about themselves or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that is, I mean, so much of that is what I love about horror as well. Mm -hmm. um, being a person who inhabits a body that, you know, sometimes a lot of the time for, for trans people particularly, 
like our bodies can be sites of real joy, but they can also be Absolutely. sites of real trauma um, and real grief. And yeah, I think just everything you've said about the way that horror allows that kind of safer place for us to explore those feelings on a page where ne- like not necessarily those feelings aren't going to actively hurt us. I think that right. it's such a cathartic way of experiencing the world and kind of putting mm. down your own experience. Absolutely. I think there's like a lot of kinship um, and a lot of like processing that can really occur in that sense. And of course there's also, um, you know, a bit of intersection with disability, you know, like I know that's not really the focus of our chat today, but you know, I think speaking as myself as a disabled person, sometimes your body can be doing things that you are really not a fan of and things like that, that can also feed into, you know, a horror sense as well. You know, if, you know, like, I mean, I um, have some mental health stuff going on. I think a lot of horror can really explore, you know, like things unseen or an uncertainty about what you're seeing or what you're experiencing or, um, you know, um, darkness or grief or, or things that just sort of, they're not, you know, it's an exploration of, of things that maybe there's a difference in what you're seeing, experiencing. There's a an otherness to like what is occurring in your space that I think can sort of really intersect with disability as well. Yeah, absolutely. And gosh, I love that you've brought that up because I also as a disabled person, mm-hmm. I am constantly referring to my own body and my experiences within my body as a horror show because it is just (laughs) like sometimes it's just not nice to inhabit that body um oh my god now I want to go and read all about like the intersection of horror and disability that's that's fascinating to me yeah um I think that was I'm pretty sure as part of the um sort of queers destroy um run of things um I'm pretty sure there was a disabled people destroy horror anthology collection that would probably be worth a read oh yes um well okay that's immediately going on my tbr yes um there's also the queers destroy science fiction and queers destroy horror and queers destroy fantasy kind of stuff which has just those collections are just chock full of trans authors as well so they're quite incredible to read um and yeah yeah I'm highly recommended okay incredible Okay, so I wanted to talk to you about the historic representations of trans people Mm -hmm. in horror because it hasn't Mm -hmm. always been. I think at the moment what we're experiencing is a really beautiful moment of Mm. reclamation of the genre, but that kind of necessitates that there has not necessarily always been a really perfect way that we've been represented. Um, Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think... No, no, you're absolutely correct in that. Um, I think, you know, um, unfortunately, historically, you know, trans characters or trans sort of adjacent characters uh, have, you know, been depicted as as monstrous or as um, as other. I mean, the one that springs immediately to my mind is Buffalo Bill from um, Silence of the Lambs, um, who I'm not even sure if he was trans. I, I think the book slash film kind of talks about his sort of dysphoria. I mean, a lot of people are like, see him and think he's a trans character. He has a lot of, you know, transformation symbolism with his moths. um, And he, you know, wants to kind of 
transform his body. So I think we can kind of loosely say trans analogy, if not trans character um, himself. Um, And obviously, like, that was not great representation. I know obviously everyone's different and trans people aren't a monolith. Some people, you know, might have enjoyed that. But I think sort of as a general rule, that was not a hugely positive depiction um, for a lot of people. And I think, you know, back in the day, I mean, you've got stuff like Rocky Horror that really plays with gender and stuff, and that was pretty radical when it came out. But, um, you know, something like Silence of the Lambs, that might be, you know, maybe one of the only times a cis person in, in that time period will have sort of come across somebody with, you know, gender stuff going on or is a sort of a trans-adjacent character. Um, and it wasn't a positive um, representation as such. I mean, he was a murderer. He was a serial killer. Like, yeah, we it wasn't great. Um, <laughs> we don't um, we don't tend to say trans icon Buffalo Bill. Not, really. no. I mean, the Babadook queer icon for sure. Buffalo Bill, maybe not so much. Um, but actually what I qu- found quite fascinating um, about Buffalo Bill, um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but the TV show Clarice that recently um, came out, I think a few years back, was a wonderful um wonderful show I really enjoyed it a lot I mean I'm a huge fan of Hannibal and Clarice Clarice is very different but um very very cool and uh there was a trans character played by a trans actor whose name I can't remember off the top of my head but I can look it up and she was in the in like in the show she was talking about how Buffalo Bill kind of was a really negative trans stereotype um which I thought was tremendous that you know the, sh- the showrunners addressed that and had a trans character speaking about the impact of buffalo bill on the trans community um and it was a wonderful moment of reclamation i mean i personally found it wonderfully beautiful that they did that in the show and that they knew that you know that was difficult territory and that they um had a chance to kind of you know add a different perspective to that or to sort of give voice to the discomfort that a lot of trans people felt about Buffalo Bill um, and sort of explain that using a trans character. I believe the writer of that episode was trans as well. So that, you know, stuff like that, it just gives me real hope that, you know, the conversations are evolving. um, The understandings are evolving. People are sort of starting to see, you know, the impacts of those things and to maybe think, oh, we should probably do better than that. Or, you know, just starting to do better in general. Yeah, that sounds really special. I, I'm also yeah. a big fan of Hannibal, so I'm definitely going to be going to watch this show. But yeah, I, I absolutely think that the the difference for me there is that it was a real reclamation by actual trans people and that yes. it wasn't a rendering by a cis person of mm-hmm. kind of the the monstrosity that can be conjured in a lot of cis people's minds when they think about a trans person and a trans body. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so They're quite careful about it, which was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just, I can't wait to go and watch that now. Honestly, I was thinking about, obviously when you talk about horror, um, like mm-hmm. you talked about and about the nature of being trans monstrosity comes up a lot for me um, as yeah. a, as a theme that reoccurs and my partner, actually, I will give him credit on this one. He brought up this idea that has just tantalized me all day, which is the idea that is that monstrosity inert within a person or is it born out of pain? 
Yeah, gosh, that's interesting, isn't it? I think I'm not going to like speak for cis people necessarily here, but I think, you know, sometimes cis people maybe think, you know, they they think, oh, if if my body was changed without my consent, that would be horrific. And I think that's horrific for everyone. Like, obviously, nobody wants anything happening to their body without consent. And I think they can't, I don't, I don't think they really understand that for trans people, without sort of any kind of affirming surgery or um, affirming social things, they are living in that discomfort as a default state, unless it's sort of interceded upon. So that's really fascinating to me. Like, unless you're affirming yourself, I think, as a trans person, it can feel very uncomfortable. And I think cis people can sometimes look at trans people and think, I would be so uncomfortable if I had those things happen to me. Whereas for trans people, that's what they want. So it's it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating contrast, I think, of what can be I mean it's that interplay between dysphoria and and euphoria and and the ways that they can manifest in like I mean different kinds of trans people as well because you're right absolutely a monolith there's a lot of different experience within being a trans person or a trans adjacent person and certainly and you know some some dysphoria here maybe no dysphoria there like it's yeah. all, you know, everyone has a very unique experience, I think, which is wonderful. Yeah. And what I'm loving seeing and what I think I've been seeing more in even the past five years is that more of those experiences are being committed to the page um, and actually yes. being appreciated by a wider audience, I think. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to ask you as also a reader, do you have some recommendations of pieces of writing that you've read that have kind of that are really good examples of um of the kind of beauty of those tropes that we've spoken about and the kind of taking that monstrosity idea and the way that we as a community have reclaimed that yeah um bunch of examples um coming to mind um i think the first one which um springs to mind because i just finished reading it is uh the she who became the sun he Who Drowned the World uh, duology from Shelley Parker-Chan. Shelley is non-binary. And yeah, I think almost all of the, there's I think three characters that, you know, are present within like the first and the second novel that um, have really strong um, responses and interactions with gender. And there is a lot of sort of euphoria in that um, as much as there is difficulty, I think I think it's actually those books are just absolutely stunning. Um, I mean, I think Shelley's an incredibly talented writer. So happy for their success. But I think you know the wonderful thing about those books is that uh, I'm going to give a few little spoilers here. So hopefully, Connor, I'm not spoiling you too much. But um, Zoo, the main character, you know, was sort of born born a girl, took on her brother's um, fate. And, you know, presents in a masculine way um, for almost all of both of the books and just sort of knows that 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 is who she is. I mean, the character uses she, her pronouns, you know, sort of internally, but to the world um, is like, I have claimed this destiny. This is who I am. This is my body. This is who I present as. And Zoo is also a disabled character and is seen by a lot of people in in the world uh, of the books as 
you know, a figure of, of shame and ridicule because um, of her disability. And she's kind of like, well, F you, like I'm going to defy what you think of me. I'm going to live my life and capture my fate. And there is nothing about me that, you know, that you could, um, the things that you perceive about me that mean that I can't do that just makes me all the more determined to do that, um, which is just wonderful. And yeah, there's some really interesting gender stuff with other characters who are perceived as really feminine, but don't want to be, or lean into that and weaponize the uh, perceptions of the people around them to make other people uncomfortable and things like that. And I'm like, just chef's kiss, like, Shelly, like, good, good job, um, because there's just so much complexity and so much difference in these characters, which is so wonderful to read. Another one that springs to mind, uh, Rivers Solomon, obviously incredible writer as well, An Unkindness of Ghosts, wonderful book. Um, I highly recommend that one. The main character of that is, is I believe, non-binary or agender, um, is autistic, is you know, low-key shunned by society for being different in lots of different ways, but, you know, has a lot of determination and, you know, those that book is just, it's, it's just really cool um, in, in, the, in the sense of how the society, in, they're in a, um, like a generation ship and the, the way that society functions. And that also has a lot of really cool intersection with um, disability and with race. Another one that's highly recommended. Um, also, Sorrowland by River Solomon um, that just came out fairly recently also looks um, at gender in a really cool way. Yeah, Rivers does a really good job with that. Yeah, who else they're thinking of? Uh, I guess Neon Young uh, has a lot of really cool stuff in the Tensor 8 books. The Genesis of Misery, which unfortunately I haven't read yet, apparently also very, very cool. Um, so definitely check out those. Do you have any favorites, Connor? Because I'm just spouting things now. <laughs> um, well, first off, I love everything that you've recommended. I have yes. read most of those and I do mm-hmm. agree the level of complexity in the way that all of those novels actually look at gender is just, oh, it's so good. I just love so to read it. I just want to read more of it. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, um, they're really like knocking it out of the park. Um, and just quick shout out to as well um, to Alison Evans, uh, homegrown talent, uh, writing some incredible trans stuff uh, with Highway Bodies, with Ida. Um, Alison and I also both had a story in Hometown Haunts, the YA horror anthology edited by Poppy Nuoso. Um, and I was absolutely thrilled to be in that um, alongside Alison uh, because their story which has a lot of like very cool angels and werewolves set in Footscray. Like, can you beat that? You cannot beat that. That is just, that's some cool writing by Alison as well. It is pretty unbeatable. We do adore Alison. And we do have, we very much have a copy of uh, Hometown Haunts here at the library. I'm very cool. putting it on display because I want everybody to read all of the amazing stories in there. I try to tell people to read yours particularly because (laughs) I think it's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a fun one to write. I wrote that um, at Clarion actually um, back in 2016. Oh, wow. Clarion West. And uh, it took me a long time to find a home for it that really fit. But yeah, just that seemed to be the exact right spot for it. So yeah, thrilled with that. I actually think about that piece quite a lot because it was so, I mean, look, it was, an incredible piece of writing. And I hope that you take Thank this you. as a compliment. It was truly <laughs> repulsive. It's 
It's a difficult one. I mean, look, I think, I mean, just to give the listener a, a quick rundown, I mean, it does have, it centers around the sort of ritualistic slaughter of a cow and, you know, the main character is very much does not fit in with um, his family who are quite horrific and it's, yeah, it's both emotionally um, and physically, like, quite awful. <laughs> um, I, yeah, because I wrote that story, you know, quite a few years ago now. And, like, I think I've really shied away from writing anything where animals get hurt these days. Like, that's not something I would probably write again. But in that story, I think it works quite effectively because um, it's it's quite upsetting. And I think it's kind of... It does the job it's meant to do. <laughs> it does. It's yep. it's deeply visceral. Yes. It really leaves it left me with a real ooh, a real capital F feeling. <laughs> it's it's quite a lot. Um it's it's actually quite funny because the day we critiqued that, um, when I was at Clarion, we we lived in a big sorority house with all the writers um in our class. Um uh, and we had this wonderful um chef called Joe who would make us food and we loved him so much. Um, and completely coincidentally that night he, um, served us all steaks uh, no. and we're all, <laughs> we're all just no. sitting around like, mm, do we want to eat this? Like, I mean, I, you know, sometimes feel quite uncomfortable about, you know, factory farming and eating meat. I do eat meat, but I feel bad about it. And I think the story sort of explores that a bit, but, um, yeah, that was a, that was an upsetting coincidence. Um, truly, truly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of, gosh, I'm racking my brains for my own recommendations. There no, is one forget. that I found quite horrifying, I suppose, because it is a horror. It's mm-hmm. Alison Rumford's Tell Me I'm Worthless, which yes. is, oh, oh, gosh, it really did things to me. It's it's on my TBR. I haven't read it yet, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, I've heard a lot. Um, what, what was it that um, resonated with you in the book? I think it was such a, again, it's a, it's a piece that is really raw and really visceral. Mm-hmm. I would, I would definitely give a warning that uh, you, you don't want to read this if you're in a, if you're in a soft space, you probably yeah. want some mental hardiness. It's yeah. essentially an exploration of trauma and grief and transphobia and the ways that they are all mixed up together for this protagonist yeah and awesome. it's I mean sad but awesome yeah sad but awesome yeah <laughs> and it's, it is so beautifully done and mm. I suppose the the horror trope that um Alison uses to explore those themes is the haunted house oh, uh, which I've read I've read a lot of haunted house as trauma sort of writing oh, yeah. and nothing quite hit me in the chest quite as hard as this particular one because it is brutal it absolutely pulls no punches which is to be honest that's what I loved about it that's what I want out of a a piece of horror it was just I cannot recommend it enough yeah no I I love a haunted house like just mm, put that in my veins like there are so many awesome haunted house stories that I could just I could go on and on um there are actually two that I want to shout out one is by Elaine Kuyakeng it's in the dark the magazine called the dark so the story that I'm thinking of is The House at Creeks um, by Elaine Kuyakeng, who's a Melbourne author from the Philippines. She's a legend. She's queer. Incredible haunted house story about trauma. And the other one that really springs to mind is um, from Sarah Gailey, uh, Just Like Home, which I think just won the British Fantasy Award. 
and is an incredible uh, haunted house story. Um, Sarah's non-binary. They write the coolest, coolest stuff, packed full of trauma, like just haunted house trauma, queer author, trans author, just, just it's the perfect um, combination as far as I'm concerned. I think it is the only piece of Gailey work that I have not yet read and now it's all I want to do. I have a copy. <laughs> I just want to go and read it now. I mean, River of Teeth was also very cool. I really, really loved that um, that novella, and I think there was a second one too. Uh, I think I think they've been collected in an, uh, a collection called American Hippo. Yes, um, they have. I absolutely yeah. adore that world. Yeah, yeah, Gailey, um, so talented, so spooky. Also, their short story Stet, which was published in Fireside, is is really cool about um, AI uh, powered cars and the way that they can indiscriminately murder people. Yeah, very cool story there as well. Oh, God, I love the bleakness as well. I feel like so much of a theme of so much of horror is that it's not that far from the world that we actually inhabit and it's all really quite bleak. Yes, um, and I think, you know, it's, it's really funny to me because we're both sitting here going like, yes, I love that, it's so bleak, it's so upsetting. And, like, but we do, though. Like, we do love the bleak stuff. We love the upsetting stuff. I mean, not everybody, but we love it. Um, and I love people it, yes. do. I love it. Um, and I think, you know, like, it does hold up a mirror um, to our world. Um, you know, things like Black Mirror, for example, terrifying stuff, not outside of the realms of possibility, um, kind of helps you cope with the world. You know, I think, I think also, like, when we're just, you know, thinking about horror generally, you know, being scared is, it's it's a wonderful experience in that you can't think of anything else in your life when you're terrified. Like if you are watching something, um, like I watched Talk To Me recently, which is very cool. It was very scary. I was not thinking about anything else um, while I was being scared. It's, it's kind of a nice little like mental holiday because you just have no room for anything else in your brain when you're terrified. It's a wonderful um, distraction. Yeah. That it is. sounds like a really weird thing to say, but it does distract you from the horrors of reality. <laughs> Hooray. Um, no, but it's true though. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a really interesting state. And I think that state of like tension and release is, is just really helpful as well. Um, I think, you know, to a certain extent, like comedy and romance also has that, but yeah, horror has a, a very particular spin on that too. I wanted to talk to you about, there's another aspect of particularly queer and trans horror that I'm mm -hmm. finding fascinating at the moment, which is that I think we're seeing in queer representations in media, particularly books and TV, that queer and trans characters have to be good and wholesome ah, yes. and noble and there's nothing threatening about us we're just like you and I'm really loving seeing the pushback against that particularly yes. from horror writers because there is a level of bad and monstrous and flawed and and problematic in that genre it's just kind of part and parcel of that kind of writing it's so interesting because you know historically you know villains are so queer coded right oh every villain ever yeah I mean look Scar from the Lion King is such a bitter old queen like you could get like no bitterer an old queen than Scar from the Lion King the OG bitter old queen <laughs> 100% um so I think yeah I think 
you know, reflexively, you know, people are wanting to create like, oh, this character's a good queer person, good queer rep, la la la. But that, you know, you're right, that does get a little bit boring um, and it is really fun to see um, some pushback on that. Um, and the character that springs to mind is uh, the character that Jesse James Keitel played on Star Trek. She played, she basically played um, a sexy villain, which was really, really cool. Uh, Captain Angel was her character's name. What a name. Um, and yeah, and, you know, uh, she was originally sort of presented as, as a, a scientist who was stranded on a planet somewhere. And then it quickly became evident that she, in fact, was the one who had done away with the scientist I think stranded her and taken on this scientist's persona and was actually evil and villainous laughs and black leather cat suit and all that um and it was it was just awesome like it was so cool to see this like cool sexy trans villain where you know I think trans and queer people don't necessarily get to inhabit that a lot I feel like one of the other ones, a little bit, um, you know, out of date now, but um, Moriarty from BBC Sherlock TV show. Absolutely um, formative like, for me as a teenager. Oh, same, same. And, you know, played by a queer actor whose name is... Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott. Thank you. I was like, it's Andrew something. Um, but obviously he's he's queer and I, I feel like the character is like very queer, which is, you know, obviously quite in the subtext of the um, original books anyway, but um, that was very cool. That's that's a queer villain that um, I was happy to see as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I adored Moriarty. It was, he was a large part of what I thought about as a teenager. <laughs> an awakening, perhaps. <laughs> something something of an awakening. Ursula yeah. from The Little Mermaid, also something oh, yeah. of an awakening. 100%. And yeah. Jafar, I think, is a big one for people. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's quite broody and... Ra and villainous I mean that's pretty cool yes absolutely do you think yeah. that just like the way that we're speaking about this do you think there might be some kind of link between being different and queer and perhaps villainous and rejected from society oh I mean a hundred percent like yeah absolutely I mean I think Actually, that kind of um, ties back into my forthcoming novella, if I'm um, okay to talk about that a little bit more. Oh, please um, do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's a very, a very common experience for queer and trans folk, you know, to feel like they are odd, strange, out of, t- you know, out of um, the norm, like different, you know, uh, part of sort of counterculture um sometimes monstrous um and sometimes there's a real joy that comes with embracing that and saying yes I am different yes I am other yes I am monstrous yes I am you you you've turned me into something um and I will be that um I will be the scary thing that you are scared of um I will be this this monster that you've created um and that for me is like catnip like I love that so much um, so yeah, my novella, it's written, uh, it's called the beast you've made of me, uh, which is a lyric that I stole from Florence and the machine. And the protagonist is a queer person, grew up in the country, family, very, um, hurtful and dismissive and somewhat abusive. My family were great by the way. So, you know, we don't need to read into that. Um, <laughs> not autobiographical then. A little bit, but, you know, for the most part, my family are pretty chill, Um, but has been sort of othered in that sense. And then in the opening of the novella, 
Um, she's bitten by a zombie, transforms into one, and goes around eating people um, and has this wonderful moment, um, which was probably one of my absolute favorite things to write that I've ever written in my entire life, where uh, she's on the beach in the middle of a storm and she is drawn to the sea. She kind of realizes that she's covered in the blood of all of these people. And she realizes that she is a monster and that actually um, she is now an immortal killing machine and no one and nothing can ever hurt her ever again. And she's going to go and hunt down her family um, because they can't hurt her anymore. And it's sort of an embracing of this monstrousness on multiple levels and saying, you've made me this monster. I've been made into this monster. I'm now going to be that monster and I'm going to come for you. Yeah, so that was super fun to write. And I think that really plays into that monstrousness that can be assigned to queer and trans folks um, and the joy that can come with embracing that. God, absolutely. And it's also such a, it's such a survival mechanism to harden yourself in that way. Oh, for sure. And like that, that, that protective shell that you can develop when, you know, you have faced that abuse in whatever way and I love when that shell kind of morphs into something more I I just love it when it becomes like it really takes that turn into monstrous and I'm going to use an example here that's like maybe not going to fit with the whole vibe of the discussion but I I I think it it. really illustrates it I really loved Megamind the like kid movie for this because Megamind was a protagonist who, like, I mean, this trope has been done to death, but, like, mm-hmm. came to Earth, was blue and weird and had a big head and just was absolutely, like, not accepted by society. Mm-hmm. And his counterpart, the hero, like, explicitly the hero character was loved. And, yeah, just taking that kind of, like, otherness. And he went, oh, so you think you think I'm the villain and he's the hero? Great. I'll show you what a villain can be. And Amazing. I just love that so much. I love it too. And and I think that also, um, you know, really um, comes up in Nimona, both the comic book and the, and the movie that's just come out, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I believe the writer of Nimona is a trans person as well. Uh, wonderful trans author. Nimona is super cool um I love the graphic novel and um actually haven't had a chance to watch the movie yet because I've been busy moving but um really really hyped for it and I think in that you know one of the themes of that I mean Nimona is a shapeshifter which classic non-binary trope you gotta love to see that I feel like most trans slash non-binary people under the umbrella if they had the chance to become a shapeshifter like 1000 percent I think I think it'd be a very very small amount of people who would say no to that like oh truly yeah can I become a shapeshifter 100% yes living my best life so you know very sort of trans themes there even just to start with but um the villain of the story um who Nimona goes to apprentice herself to um has been cast as a villain just because um and the hero is also you know the the golden shining hero guy who has been sort of assigned this heroness for arbitrary reasons and I think that super resonates with the queer experience are villains really villains or are they just misunderstood it's my favorite question ever I will explore that until the end of time yeah and I will just keep writing villains because I think they're super duper fun oh so fun and so much complexity and there's so much meat to that character and there's so much to explore within that 
yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. Um, yeah, and I think there's just such a resonance there and such a, a wonderful power in in embracing the villainy, you know, taking the sort of expectations that people have of you and really embracing them or turning them on their head or weaponizing them sometimes. Absolutely, yes. Mm. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about is we are in the month of November, which is NaNoWriMo, National yes. Novel Writing Month. You're a, you're a professional writer. Are you doing NaNo this year and have you done it in the past? Um, I am giving it a crack this year. Um, I, I have found it a little tricky to get back into writing um, after lockdown and stuff. So I'm doing a very um, gentle, slow and steady version of NaNoWriMo, which is I'm going to try and write every day. And I have a short story that I'm working on and a novella that I want to finish by the end of November. So hopefully I'll get to that. Um, I have done it in the past. I think I've done it maybe four or five times in the past. And I think I've sort of managed to crack the 50K at least twice Good or Lord. maybe three times well in that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I am a generally quite a slow writer. Um, it takes me like a long time to like think about the idea before I write it. And I, I've, be, I've gotten a little bit quicker over the last few years. But deadlines are great for me in my ADHD brain. So they can really help me just click into gear and just like smash out the words. Yeah. So it's it's always a bit frantic to do it, um, but it is quite fun. And it's also uh, really wonderful because, you know, a lot of my um, writing pals, almost all of them who are queer and trans, coming together and doing NaNoWriMo together is really fun because we can all talk about it and support each other. And just it just feels really cozy and nice to have that. Um, to have that community there as well. So, yes. Yeah, so in short, I am doing it, but um, in, a, in a gentle way. I do love the community that does come along with doing nano because it can, oh, yeah. writing can be such a solitary pursuit in a lot yes. of ways. And I do, I love the, you get that kind of gentle holding each other to accountability, but also really supporting one another um, through the process. I, I always find that really helpful and a really beautiful thing to create for yourself. It is wonderful. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just writing communities. I mean, they're absolutely worth their weight in gold. I, I really don't think I would be, um, you know, where I am in my writing life if I didn't have such wonderful supportive communities and wonderful supportive people who, you know, have sort of made it their mission to uplift me. And, and in turn, I sort of make it my mission to uplift others. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's toxicity and, um, that kind of thing in, in all communities, unfortunately, unfortunately, but I feel like there's a really wonderful um, queer and trans presence in, in sci-fi, horror, fantasy, and just like good people that really take care of each other and, and help each other out. Um, so I'm really, really thrilled to be part of the community. Do you have any tips for anyone who maybe hasn't given Nana a shot before and is curious about maybe how to crack that 50k or even give themselves you know a, a bit of a softer target what would be your advice um yeah I think um you know I think know thyself is a, is a little bit of um advice I would give like if you're a slow writer um which I am I mean there's nothing wrong with kind of making it how you want to do it whether that's I'm going to write every day in November even if it's three words or I'm going to try and you know do 250 words or, or 500 words a day. Like those are still words that you're getting down and that's still a wonderful accomplishment. Like you don't necessarily have to go for the whole 50K. Um, if you do want to go for the 50K, I think 
it's really important to take care of your hands um, because, I mean, for me, I work in, in an office in my day job and I'm writing a lot, you know, in, in the everyday. So adding an extra couple of hours of writing on top of that can really wreck my wrists. So make sure you stretch, make sure you're like protecting your wrists because you don't want to hurt yourself. Um, and I would say just kind of like time it into the rhythm of your life. Like if you're a morning person, maybe try to do a burst in the morning. If you write better at night, maybe try write better, like try, try write at night. There's also nothing wrong with doing like little short bursts throughout the day. Um, if that's going to work for you. So I think just like do something that's going to work for you. Don't be afraid to like break the mold, but also just like have fun with it. Like it's a chance to just, I mean, they say, when you're doing NaNoWriMo, like you just, you just go for it. You don't worry if it's good. You don't worry if the words are silly or ridiculous or you have to edit them later. Like whatever, we all have to edit them later. Just like have a crack, just, just write, write whatever you like, whatever comes to you, just like really just let it go. And I think there's like a really wonderful freedom in doing that. That is so beautiful. I, I'm so glad Everything you've said, I think, resonates so deeply with me. Also love the practicality of, like, make sure that your wrists are okay. That's not yeah. what I expected you to say, and it's so true. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember when I was um, writing my novella, the one that's um, coming out soon, um, I was trying to write it to a particular deadline, and I had to do it. I had to write about 20,000 words in about a week, um, which is a lot, um, even for Nano. That's um, I mean, that's... Yeah. And I was writing probably three or four hours a day on top of my day job. And I had to go to the physio because my wrists were just like absolutely knackered after that. Oh so my God. I actually like hurt myself doing it. Um, so just be careful of your wrists. Like make sure you're stretching, make sure you don't do too much at once. Like make sure your desk or your writing area is like, you know, as good as you can make it in terms of the safety things, your chair's in the right spot. Like, yeah, that's, that's important because yeah, we want to make sure you're um, as healthy as possible getting through it. Writing really does take your blood, sweat, tears and physio bills. <laughs> it really does. And also, like, I find it can really zonk me out. Like, it's a lot of mental energy too. Like, you can be quite exhausted if you're putting that mental energy into things. So, like, be careful of that. Like, if you're pushing yourself too much and it doesn't feel good, like, you can just, you can chill it out. You can, you can drop it down a little bit to, to a, a state that's going to be comfortable for you because the last thing you want to do is to burn yourself out um, in the pursuit of, of a word count. Like it's great if you can do it, but just, just take care of yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Emma, for joining me for this chat. I've had the most wonderful time. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I absolutely love talking horror. It's wonderful talking horror with you. Um, and I hope that, um, yeah, everyone listening is having a good time too and um, has found some new stuff to read or listen to. Yeah, definitely. Emma, is there somewhere on social media where people can find you um, and keep track of that novella? Yes. Um, so I know Twitter is kind of dead, but uh, I am on there um, at Redscribe. Also on Blue Sky is Redscribe. On Instagram, I'm Redscribed with a D on the end. Um, but you can find me there or you can... Um, yeah, have a look at my website, which is just mkosborne.com. I'll um, keep things posted there. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'll be shouting out on the on the socials when when we have a date and we have a cover and all that fun stuff. That sounds amazing. Okay. Thank you so much, Emma. You're an absolute legend. Thanks, Connor. I really appreciate you having me on. That was Emma Osborne chatting with one of our resident librarians.
If you want to get your hands on any of the titles mentioned in this chat, jump on to the Yarra Library's website to join or place holds. Alternatively, pop into any of our branches and you're sure to find a librarian who can give you even more recommendations. Happy reading and writing!